Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your word. Take this truth and plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. That the light of Christ may be seen today. In our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, our sermon will come from Psalms 56. The book of Psalms, chapter 56. And I'll be reading it from the ESV version in its entirety. Book of Psalm, chapter 56. If you have it, say amen. amen. If you need a second, say hold on now. All right, I think everyone's got it then. Amen. Psalm 56, starting at the very first verse, it says, it reads as thus. To the choir master, according to the dove of the far-off terebinths, a mitkam of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your Bible, in your bottle. Are they not in your books? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thanks offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. For a thought today, I would like to use as a title, Trust in God. Trust in God. If you want to walk away with kind of one summary sentence from this passage today, kind of like to sum it all up into one sentence, I think that topic would be this. Trust in God who cares for you and delivers you from death to life. 
trust in God who cares for you and delivers you from death to life. From this thought, we'll draw our first four, our three points for today. First point will be trust God when you are afraid, verses 1 through 4. Our second point being trust God when you are attacked, verses 5 through 11. And then thank God because he has delivered you. We'll repeat those points as we go through, but let's go to our first point for today. Trust God when you are afraid. We come to today's passage that is in the context of when the Philistines have captured David in Gath. For those who are not familiar with the story itself, it'll be helpful for us to review it just quickly. Now, many of us are very familiar with David. We we know a lot about King David, the little shepherd boy, David. David was the one who was most known for using this slingshot to hit Goliath in the head with a stone and kill him as he stood. David would have many other great victories in battle to the point where they would write songs about David. I don't know if you've had a song written by you, but that means you're a man of great renown, that they write songs about you. Psalms, 1 Samuel chapter 18 tells us that David slayed 10,000 men. But then there's another character who's often intertwined with David, and that man's name is Saul. Saul, being the king of Israel at the time, becomes jealous to the point of trying to kill David. So now David is running for his life. And David is running away from his own people. He is captured by an all too familiar foe in the Philistines in Gath. And what do you know? Gath would be the hometown of Goliath himself. This man who once was the reason for the shame of a people is now a sojourner and he has no place to call home. And he's right in the hands of the enemy. First Samuel chapter 21 verse 12 tells us that once he heard the words of the king of the Philistines, he had considered all that he had done to Goliath, how he had defeated his enemies. Now he's captured by his enemies. It was said of David that he was very much afraid. He is afraid of those who seek his life and they mock him. As we enter back into Psalms 56, we see how David describes his enemies. Verse 1, he says, they trample on me. They oppress me. Verse 2 says, they attack me. Verse 5, that says, they twist my words. Verse 6, he says, their thoughts are only against me for evil. They stir up strife. They are lurking and watching after my steps. There is nowhere for David to hide, seemingly no way of escape. He is hunted like a fugitive, and he is powerless against the kings of nations. It seems that no one has considered his own cause. All day long, he says in verses 1 and 2, all day long they oppress me. All day long they trample upon me. 
All day long they lie. All day long they seek to kill me. And when you consider the turmoil of his life, it should be no surprise to us that David is afraid. But what does he do when he's afraid? It is not unfair for David to be afraid right now, but what he does when he is afraid is a model worthy of us of learning from today. You see, when the world would only revile and persecute him, the only place he can find relief and salvation and deliverance is in God Almighty himself. It is in Elohim, the one who transcends above all our afflictions and exercises complete control over all of our turmoil. He makes this petition to God. He says, God, in verse 1, be gracious to me. While everyone else tries to make me afraid, David needs someone who will be gracious to him. He needs someone who's going to show compassion. David needs someone who he can trust. And there is no one else more trustworthy than the gracious God Almighty. So David has found a great remedy for times when he is afraid. As he says here in our text, he says, when I am afraid... I put my trust in you. In God, I trust I shall not be afraid. When I'm afraid, I trust in God. Therefore, I shall not be afraid. To you who sit with me here today, I ask you, do you ever find yourself afraid in this life? It's okay to confess it. We're, we're all family in here. You can confess this. Do you ever find yourself afraid in this life? When you watch the news, when you go scrolling through social media, do you become afraid then? When you witness riots in the streets and raise at the Capitol, do you find yourself afraid then, wondering what is the world coming to? When you're faced with one medical disease after another medical disease, whether it's in your own life or in the family of another, not knowing will this be brought to death, do you become afraid then? Whether it's oppressive people or circumstances, we are all prone to become afraid at some point in time in our life. But this is no issue to our Lord and Savior. To those in the body, we should not be shocked that those we gather with, that week in and week out, that you can come with people who are often find themselves afraid. But when you become afraid, what do you put your trust in? Have you trusted in your money? Have you trusted in your own knowledge? Have you trusted even in your own strength and your own ability? Rather, I'd encourage you even here today, trust should be put in God and his word alone. Think about it. How may you encourage those in the body? When David was afraid, he knew the foundation of his trust. It was in the word of God. When his life was troubled, and he was afraid. Verse 4 tells us this reason for trust is found in the word. And just in case you missed it, he states it again in verse 10. 
in God whose word I praise. So brothers and sisters, do you praise God for his word? Do you delight in the word of God? Or maybe you consider the Bible as only something that can be used against somebody else. Maybe the reason we don't find joy in the words is because we no longer see the utility or necessity of it in the life of the believer. You see, you never praise those things which you do not see as useful. No one loves a broken vacuum. No one gives praise for broken utensils. If we're to take a survey of your life, who or what will we see that you give praise for? Would it be sports teams? Now, I'm a diehard Cowboys fan myself. You often find me boasting in the Cowboys, I must confess. <laughs> Will you find yourself often boasting in your own wits, in your own character? Do you find yourself boasting in leaders? Do you find yourself boasting and praising about celebrities? Maybe it's even things in his own country. Maybe you just find yourself talking about yourself a lot. Maybe you praise yourself more so than anything else. You see, do not marvel at this, my beloved. What you praise is what you trust. What you praise is evidently is what you trust. Now, this is to say that nothing or no one is trustworthy. Clearly, my cowboys are not. But it is to say that no one or nothing is eternally trustworthy except our God and his word. That is to say that nothing or no one is eternally trustworthy except God and his word. The basis of our trust in the eternal word of God. For this is where we, can, we are told we can trust him. Psalms 119, 111 says, Your words are my heritage for how long? Forever. For they are the joy of my heart. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says himself, heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of my mouth will never pass away. 1 Peter 1.25 says the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Oh, my friends, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. It's built for your saints in his excellent word. What more can he say to you than he has already said? To you who for refuge Jesus hath fled. You see, darkness may last for the night, but the word of the Lord is trustworthy forever. Amen. You see, saints, in this life, we may become afraid, but we should trust in God and his word. Not only should we trust in God when we are afraid, but also when we are attacked. Coming into verse 5, we are giving a divine view into the intentions of those who come after David. You see, in the court of law, in murder cases, there is often the question of what was their motive? What was the reason that they killed this person? 
with all this murder, you, the, most, the motive easily can increase the degree of this murder. Here the motive of David's enemies are clearly stated. In verse 5 it says, all their thoughts against me are evil. No good. There are no good intentions in their thoughts towards David. And their evil thoughts do not stay dormant in their mind, but they come out in their actions. The desire of the enemy is to do evil against the Lord's children. Don't be surprised by this. The enemy will attack their character and the enemy will attack you physically. We even see this with David. He is attacked in his character. He is attacked physically as well. We see David's character comes under attack in verse 5 where he tells us they injure my cause. Now, I know that's a phrase we use every single day. They injure my cause. This can also be translated as they twist my words. Why are the words of a man so connected to his character? You see, people will begin to recognize you by the things that you say and attach them to your character. You see, just to illustrate that point, the words that you have illustrates kind of character. We often think of words, and when we think of words, we can easily begin to picture a setting, a person, or even a quality of something. If I told you the words, save money, live better, you would think Walmart. If I said eat fresh, you begin to think Subway. If I told you like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. <laughs> you see, some of you start laughing, yep, I, I, I see. If I told you Red Robin, some of you say, yum. <laughs> <laughs> These words are often connected to the character of the person. So the enemy loves to attack and twist the words. Quickly, we begin to see how, the, how to attack and twist the words of someone is to actually go after the very essence of who they are. You see, this is the same tactic that Satan used in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden, when he comes to them, he says to them, did God really say? He begins twisting and contorting the words of God. Again, we see it in, with Jesus as he is tempted in the desert in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. You see, he begins twisting the very words of God by saying, it is written, and twisting the word of God. You see, one of the greatest attacks of the enemy, our great deceiver, that he will launch is by twisting the righteous words of God himself. Because to misunderstand the words of God is to misunderstand the character of God. And by extension, those who follow after God's own heart, you can expect that your character will come under attack as well. Your co-workers will gospel, gossip and twist your words to make themselves look better, to give them further advancement. People at your school will bully you and use your words and twist them against you. They will say all types of things about you. Don't be surprised by this, because by twisting your words, they can attack your character. The enemy will attack the character and word of God and come against you at the same time. But not only will they attack the character, but they'll attack you physically. You see, not only does David 
enemies attack his character, but they also attack him physically. In verse 6, we witness how the enemies of David are seemingly lurking after him. <laughs> They're lurking after him to not give him a hug. Not to give him some goodie bag, but they're lurking after him to kill him. It's as, it's as if they're like prowling wolves all around him, ready to tear his body from limb to limb. They are waiting to take his life. You see, it's not common for many of us here in the States to kind of feel this type of physical attack. It's not uh, overly abundant, but you must know that we have brothers and sisters across this entire globe that this type of physical attack they feel all day long. We have brothers in North Korea, China, Somalia, Nigeria, Pakistan, and other countries who are beaten and killed all day long and are physically attacked by the enemy because of their belief in Jesus Christ. My friends, we should weep with those who weep. We should be grieved and, and hurt with those who are physically attacked all day long. You see, Satan doesn't take any off days. All day long, the enemy will attack the righteous ones. All day long, their character of the righteous will be trampled upon. All day long, their bodies will be beaten and bruised and broken by the enemy. And when we consider the pain and anguish and despair of the lives of our very own brothers and sisters, does this not stir up our sympathies? Does this not move our heart to compassion? We are left asking the question, just like David, will my enemies escape? Would no one take care of, your, of God's people? See, one of the hardest realities that we come to terms with in this text is found in verse 8. Although, as stated before, David trusts in the Lord, but it does not keep the tears from coming to his eyes. David has a trust in the Lord, but he still weeps with sorrow. It does not keep him from tossing and turning. You see, in those times when sorrow rises and our eyes are filled with tears, may the truths of the word of God be a soothing balm for our soul. You see, the Lord has noted our sorrows. He has seen our tears. The tears that you would not like anyone else to know about. That you cried late in the midnight hour or tucked off in the corner somewhere. Your Savior saw. He cares about your affliction, your sorrows, your concerns. Verse 89, he says, you have kept count of my tossings. You have put tear, my tears in your, in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back that day when I call with a, greater confidence, with a greater confidence in our Savior, we too can look at our Savior God and make this bold claim. Although that tears often fill our eyes and we often find ourselves attacked, attacked on every hand, although we may be men of sorrow, found in ourselves often in trial and turmoil, we too can make the bold claim like David and ask the question, what can man do to me? What 
can flesh do to me? Now, I just want to go ahead and give the spoiler to you. The answer is nothing. Nothing of eternal value. Nothing of eternal consequence to those who trust in God Almighty. You see, I want to point you to our gracious Savior as an example of this, of what can man do to the righteous people. You see, even as an infant, King Herod came against the righteous Savior, our Savior, King Jesus. But even he could not conquer King Jesus, even in infant babe form. What can man do to me? You see, the religious leaders will come after Jesus and they will try to twist his words and trip him up. But Jesus stands before them every time, basically saying, what can man do to me? The woman with the issue of blood would touch Jesus. In that time, he was supposed to be considered unclean, but she could not even contaminate him. What can man do to me? The devil would tempt him, but he could not corrupt him. Judas would betray him. The people would hate him, and they would eventually kill him. Jesus would take our sins, my sins and your sins, upon himself on an old rugged cross, and he would pay the price for our sins. But sin could not defeat him, nor could the grave keep him. But, we were, but he was raised victoriously from the grave. And from the grave he ascended on high. What can man do to him if even death cannot conquer him? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 tells us that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our last point and much briefer point as we come to a close. That is to thank God because he has delivered you. Verses 12 through 13, we see after establishing his trust in God, David turns the tables kind of back on himself in a way. You see, he trusts the Lord to do his part. Now he takes a hard look at himself and says, now I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. You see, the Lord has kept his words towards David. Now David must keep his vows and his word to the Lord. He has to keep his vows. When we think of vows, some of you might rightly think of the vows you yourself may have taken on your wedding day. You see, there's a sobering beauty of our vows, and you see, it takes us to the possible edges of sorrow. You see, it takes us to, uh, to where we vow to be committed and to love one another for better and for worse, in plenty and in want, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. Here David has come to the terms of this union with God. 
As long as David's will is tied to the Lord's, he was to remain faithful to God in all circumstances. In this particular scenario, David, this required David to render a thank offering to God. If you know the story of David in his life, you know this would not be the last time that he would be pursued by, by Saul. This would be not the last time he was attacked. This would not be the last time he would become afraid. This would even not be his final interaction between the Philistines. Yet, although he's not delivered from all these physical afflictions, David still gives thanks to God. Why would he give thanks to God if trouble still surrounds him? Why would he give God thanks if he's still in the midst of turmoil? Well, verse 13 tells us it's because the Lord has delivered his soul from death. You see, the greatest danger of David's life is not that his enemies were before him, but it was that he himself once stood as an enemy before God. He walked in darkness and death before God, but now he is able, verse 14, to walk before God in the light of life. My friends, you can build yourself a comfortable life here. I've seen it. I've seen magazines and video shows all about it. You can build yourself comfortable lives and on this earth and be exalted by man. But if your soul has not been delivered by the Lord, well, you've built your house on sinking sand. You've built your house on foundations that are not steady. To the non-believer that may be in this room, I do not know all of you, so I would not assume that all of you are Christian. To the non-believer that may be in the room, this is a call for you to no longer build your houses upon your own, your own interests, your own strength, and trust in yourself. But this is a call for you to trust in the Lord, repent of your sins, and turn from them and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, because it secures your soul for you to stand before God in heaven, even if that means you have to fall to the dust before man on earth. You see, thank offerings in this, com- in this time were common with the Israelites. They were performed after the Lord delivered them from a particular trial, from one trial that offers thanks. So thank offerings were somewhat sacrificial in a way. Thank offerings were also done in the context of fellowship with the Israelites. They would fellowship with one another. They would eat with one another. So for those who have been delivered by the Lord, I do not think the Lord is calling us to go and sacrifice chickens. Uh, I think Tyson and Chick-fil-A has a good job of doing that right now. I don't think he's calling us to sacrifice animals. But I think the Lord, for those who have trusted in him, they have put his trust in him, but I think he's calling us to be a new nation and a new people who are ransomed by the blood of the Lamb. And we too should offer thanks. Well, how should we do this? Well, I know that you all have been reading through Romans here through the last few weeks, and I promise, Pastor, that I would not preach through Romans, so you're welcome. But Romans 12, I believe, gives us a great picture of what this thank offering can look like for us. 
what is this sacrifice, this sacrificial giving to the Lord should look like for us who've been delivered from death to life. Romans 12.1 tells us that we should not present animals, but to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is our sacrifice, our very selves to the service of God. Then in chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, it calls us to look at our fellowship with one another. Verses 9 through 13 tells us that we should let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in hope. Be, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the news of the saints as you seek to show hospitality to one another. You see, I think Romans 12 can actually serve as a good piece of vows for you all here today. If you want to remember part of your vows to, to God and to one another, I think Romans 12 should be a great place for you to start. And our Lord will not let his people fall. You can rest assured of that because he will do his part. Now we get to remember our vows to him. You see, family, we're all trying to make it through the stormy life. We're all just trying to make it to the other side. We often find ourselves afraid and attacked on all sides. All day long, it seems like the enemy comes after us. But in the midst of all these things, I want you to know that all your afflictions are seen by the Lord. He cares for your soul. He will take down the enemies of the Lord and he will deliver you from death to life. You see, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver them from them all. And because the Lord has delivered us from life to death, from death to life, we can walk in the light of life with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But will you trust in God? Will you trust in God? Let's pray. Dear Father, you are the you are the vine dresser. Christ is the true vine, and we are the branches. So my prayer for for First Baptist Weddington Woods Baptist Church is that we will abide in Christ, remain in Him no matter what comes our way, and therefore bear fruit in accordance to the word of God. May we trust you in all circumstances. May we believe that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And in the end, Father, may we look upon your glorious face with joy and not terror. Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you all the thanks and the glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.